Welcome, my beautiful, amazing listeners. This is Sex and Spirituality, and I am your host, Lauren Coletti. I am excited, as usual, for today's topic because I've never really talked about this on my show, and I don't want to imply, because I'm doing my Pride Month series, that everyone that identifies as part of the LGBTQIA plus community is interested in non-monogamy or polyamory. This is simply not true. And especially as a bisexual woman, I think it's automatically assumed that I'm not monogamous or that all bisexuals are automatically into swinging. That's completely not true. But I want to shed some light on this topic from my own perspective and from my experience and just what I've picked up from what other people are putting down. And I'm kind of stoked to talk about it. And I would love to hear your thoughts. I would love to interview someone that is not in a monogamous relationship for my show. So if you identify as someone that is in an alternative relationship, I would love to speak with you. Even if you don't want to come on the show, I would love to converse with you through Instagram. You can follow me at Sex and Spirituality Pod or send me a voice memo because I just find it so interesting and intriguing and I'm not fetishizing it whatsoever, but I would love to learn more because personally, I, I'm i pretty open to other forms of relationships, alternative relationships. I believe, sincerely believe that if I were to ever get married, that I would engage in some sort of monogamish situation and settlement. So would love to hear your thoughts and your experiences with this. And also, I'm introducing a new segment, so stay tuned to the end of the episode for my Ask a Sex Educator segment, where once a week, I'm going to be taking your guys' questions and answering them live on the show. You can feel free to send me a voice memo through the Anchor app, or you can reach out to me through DM on Instagram at Sex and Spirituality Pod. I will leave that in my show notes. So basically, I'm going to be picking one question to be answering on the show. As a sex educator, I think I can shed some light on a lot of sexual health and wellness and relationship topics, as I have a lot of formal education and personal experience in this area. So I will be doing the Ask a Sex Educator segment towards the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying Sex and Spirituality, please feel free to like, rate, subscribe, and share. And let's get into today's episode. All right, all right, let's talk about it. Are you open to an alternative relationship style? So let's talk about this first. What is ethical non-monogamy? What is an open relationship? What is polyamory? So these three terms are used almost interchangeably and honestly can be quite confusing if I do say so myself because these words are relatively new to the English language. There is little consensus on their exact meanings. But in general, all three means having the freedom to be sexually and or emotionally involved with more than one person. And while some may quibble about subtle differences in these three terms, it doesn't really matter what you call your relationship or lifestyle, as long as you are clear with your partner or partners about exactly what you mean by it. So there is a key difference between the term old-fashioned infidelity or cheating. These are not the same things. Ethical non-monogamy, open relationships, and polyamory are explicitly designed to be practiced 
honestly with mutual consent of all parties where no one is deceived and everyone chooses to enter this type of relationship. Some people in these relationships are married or live with a primary lover or spouse but occasionally have casual sex outside of their marriages. Other people oppose marriage and have more than one commitment long-term relationship concurrently but still others are in group marriages or maybe living with several adults who share sexual and spousal relationships. Other people are inclined toward many relationships of a less committed nature and are not seeking marriage or long-term relationships. Many other people embrace the theory of non-monogamy and enjoy having the option of having more than one lover or spouse if they desire, but may not have the time or energy for more than one relationship or may not have met the right person or people to enter into such an arrangement. So even though they consider themselves non-monogamous or polyamorous, they may not practice it, but they like having the option, having an agreement with their partner that this would be acceptable if it does happen. But for many people, having the freedom to choose additional relationships is just as important and fulfilling as actually acting on this option and having other lovers. So for me personally, I've never been in an open relationship. Would I be open to it? I mean, I'm not 100% opposed to it at all. For me, I'm someone that really likes to keep an open mind. I don't think having closed-minded behaviors is super helpful, if I'm being quite honest with you. Um, Do I think I'm too jealous and insecure? Currently, yes. But if I'm being honest, which I'll get into towards the end of the episode, when I think of my boyfriend fucking other girls or having a threesome or even cheating on me, which is a fantasy, not that I want that to happen, I get so turned on. Like nothing makes me hornier than when I am doing my thing and I'm picturing my boyfriend getting with another girl it's called compersion, and I'll talk about it towards the end of the episode. Oh my god, it really makes me all hot and bothered. And last night, I was chilling with my boyfriend, we were watching TV, and I just, like, the visual imagination image of him sleeping with another person came into my mind, and my pussy just got so wet and tingly. And I don't know if this is something I want to actively participate in right now, because I don't know, I think, honestly... If I'm being real, currently, I would use it against him and break up with him. But it's something that I'll keep in my back pocket or that we could just play with in the bedroom and do role play or something. So relationships outside of the monogamous paradigm, they're not new. They've been practiced since the beginning of humankind. But it wasn't until recently that it was considered immoral and deviant behavior and identified as a major taboo, especially in religions, as it was called secret cheating um, or pretending to be faithful to the spouse. This is, this is looked down upon in many religions. So due to sexism and norms and women's economic dependence on men throughout most of history, men could usually get away with extramarital affairs, mistresses, sexual relationships with prostitutes, and even having several wives because women's powerless economic and political position forced them to accept any and all behavior from their husbands. But women were much less at liberty to stray outside of marriage and have other relationships. They would get killed. They would get burned at the stake. It was just, you know, the double standard is hella fucking real. But new freedoms 
were fueled by the advent of effective birth control methods like the pill, the legalization of abortion, and by women entering the paid labor workforce and achieving more economic independence from men. So this transformation of sexual mores allowed both men and women the opportunity to experiment with many new types of relationships and made it possible to reject the rigid sex roles and limitations of monogamous relationships, particularly marriage. So why do some people want more than one partner? Well, no one really knows the answer to this question. A lot of anthropologists will say that it's not in our biological nature to be monogamous. Um, Just like some people are very happy with monogamy, others are not. Monogamy can prove to give greater security, stability, and protection, but others feel like they could experience deeper intimacy and be more loved and happy in relationships with more than one person. Others, you know, people might feel that monogamy is simpler and just more feasible, um, and that exclusivity is really what keeps people in monogamy. Also, just cultural conditioning and societal standards, but it's becoming more acceptable and less taboo now for people to find that monogamy just doesn't meet their needs. Um, People have come to believe it's unrealistic to expect any one person to fulfill all their needs for companionship and sex for the rest of their lives. I completely understand that. Many people practice serial monogamy and find themselves being with people that are incompatible or just dissatisfied. And many people spend their whole life searching for the perfect mate only to find themselves time after time just being frustrated and disappointed. They can't maintain a monogamous relationship over the long haul. Um, They keep cheating or having secret affairs or losing interest. This is your girl right here. I tend to lose interest very quickly. Um, And I think this is partly because of a history of trauma and my insecure attachment style. Um, But I want to say that if you are practicing open relationships or ethical non-monogamy, don't do it to avoid um, like yourself. You know, I would say for me, being in therapy has made me open to being studying myself and being aware and insightful and introspective. And I agree that Open relationships sometimes avoid some of the problems that you could experience in monogamous relationships, but you want to make sure you're on board for the right reason and you don't want to do more harm than good. Many monogamous relationships really suffer from excessive dependency. Couples living together, spending all their time together, sometimes to the exclusion of all other friendships. Each partner depends heavily on their other for emotional support, family, literally everything. And some people even give up their friends or activities um, if their partner doesn't share that interest. And it creates a lot of resentment and dissatisfaction because monogamous couples agree to be completely dependent on each other for affection. A lot of them become dissatisfied due to sexual incompatibility or different sex drives, levels and frequency of sex, or becoming sexually bored with their partner. And They could even feel a strong sexual attraction towards others, but repress their feelings or end their current relationship in order to have sex with someone else. So many complain that although they love their spouse and feel strongly attracted to their boyfriend or girlfriend, their partner doesn't want sex frequently enough or doesn't share the same fantasy. And this leaves one partner always wanting more in sexual variety or practices. And the other feels pressured for sex, often resulting in resentment or 
taking matters into their own hands to fulfill their sexual needs, which I'm not opposed to. I think that you should take your own sexual pleasure into your own hands and not rely on someone else to give that orgasm to you. I can completely relate to this because I get a lot of sexual resentment. So I understand where both sides of the coin, you know, there's pros and cons to both. And relationships where monogamy is not required can create solutions for some of these problems. Non-monogamous people have opportunities to become more independent and have many friends, many sources of emotional support rather than depending on their other, their significant other for everything. People in open relationships, the most important thing, you have to be assertive and communicate. I think that's every relationship though. Let's be real. If you're not communicating, then your relationship is just going to crumble and fall and just perish. But in a open relationship, it is key that you're able to articulate your own needs clearly and honestly. Being in non-monogamous relationships offers the opportunity to meet all your needs rather than the to repress and resent whichever do not get conventionally fulfilled in your initial relationship. It allows each partner to have as much sex or as little sex as you want because your partner who wants more sex is free to have other sexual relationships. And this can strengthen relationships by encouraging each partner to be clear and to be upfront and to communicate clearly about your feelings, your needs, your insecurities, including jealousy. And this is why I have been holding back on this. Not because this is the thing, like I love Nick so much, but I think the part of me that is open to non-monogamy is just trying to be realistic because my limiting belief is that I don't believe two people can love each other and only each other and not have eyes for anyone else for the rest of their lives. Like that's just my doubt coming in. And personally, I would rather Nick get with another girl and me know about it than him do it behind my back and vice versa. Not that I'm like trying to fuck anyone that comes into my line of vision. Like I consider myself to be a demisexual and a sapiosexual. And I'll talk about that in perhaps next episode, but it takes a lot for me to be sexually attracted to people. It, it takes a lot for me to find someone attractive. Like if I don't know someone's personality, I most likely will not find them attractive. So a lot of me, of my needs are emotional intimacy because I could take care of my sexual needs myself, you know? I'm not a huge physical person. I don't really like to be touched. I love sex 50% of the time. The other 50% of the month, I hate it. Like, my needs are very confusing to me. And personally, I am extremely not good at communicating. Communication is a huge difficulty for me and being assertive is a challenge. So I don't think that this would fit my lifestyle currently while I work on these things. But I'm not trying to force non-monogamy down your throat if it's not for you. It's not for you. It's not for everyone. Because there are some problems with non-monogamy. Ideally, non-monogamy can enrich the lives of all parties and lead to deeper satisfaction. However, in real life, you're dealing with two imperfect humans and making a transition from traditional relationships to the lifestyle can be stressful. It could involve growing pains because living in a new way requires learning new skills and overcoming a lifetime of socialization. Um, You know, what sounds reasonable in theory is much more difficult to work out logistically as well as emotionally. So people with the best intentions often discover that they may have 
intense insecurities and fears and resentment based on outdated core beliefs about themselves and their partner, about family and relationships in general. Most people find that they experience jealousy to a lesser or greater extent, especially when first embarking on this lifestyle. It usually takes time and talking it out and thought and reassurance to let go of jealous feelings. And some people find that while they continue to feel jealous and have feelings of conflict and ambivalence around their relationships and lifestyle, these feelings are greatly outweighed by a much more positive experience of the benefits and joys of non-monogamy. So each situation is as unique as the particular individuals involved and only trial and error will tell what will work for each relationship or family. A lifestyle may look great on paper, but can feel completely different on the ground and living the lifestyle with an open mind and some ground rules that you have to both work out that feel comfortable and safe to you is the only way to develop a long-term situation that works for everyone involved. So what are the relationship alternatives to monogamy? We learned from birth that there's one right way when it comes to romance. You meet someone, you date, you move in, get married, have kids, and stay together until death do you part. And although this script can make it feel like we only have one option, there are a lot of different and valid ways to have intimate relationships. Just like people learn in different ways. I am a audible audio learner. Like I can learn by listening to things or watching videos. Other people might learn by tactile stimulation or by reading. It's all different for everyone. It's individual and that's okay. There's no one right way to do a relationship because with such a heavy focus on monogamy, having one partner in our culture, it could be hard to imagine what other options might look like. So a few of the most common relationship structures outside of monogamy, although these certainly aren't the only ones for ethical or consensual non-monogamy, include swinging, friends with benefits or fuck buddies, polyamory, which I discussed, polyfidelity. This looks like a lot like you'd expect a monogamous relationship to look just with more than two people. It's sometimes referred to as monogamy plus one or plus two in poly communities and members of the relationship agree to only date and have sex with each other. Um, this is a thruple or a triad. <laughs> Quads or larger closed networks can also exist. So Another one's open relationship, relationship anarchy. This is more of an approach to relationships than a structure. Basically, relationship anarchists believe that all forms of intimacy are valid and don't necessarily prioritize their lovers or romantic relationships above their friends or family. Relationship anarchy explicitly rejects assumed hierarchies between different kinds of relationships and erases the distinction between partner and non-partner. Also, queer platonic co-parenting and chosen family. Um, not all intimate relationships involve sex or romance. Choosing to build a life and family or otherwise um, do things more traditionally associated with romantic partners with your friends is also a valid option. This could look like two best friends or even former partners living and raising their kids together, a group of friends buying land and building tiny houses near each other, so many things. The key trait here is a level of life entanglement that's above and beyond what someone would normally have with their friends. And lastly, monogamish. Dan Savage, the author of Savage Love, coined the term monogamish to describe a relationship that is mostly closed, but allows the occasional outside sexual partner in the right situation. But romance is usually off the table 
exploring a monogamous relationship could look like having a 100 mile run where you can sleep with someone else as long as you're at least 100 miles from home. So for me personally, I think that monogamous would fit my lifestyle if I had to choose, not implying anything here, um, or polyfidelity. I don't know. Those are the ones that I resonate with the most. But when it comes to your relationships, you know, why would you buy off the rack when you could get it tailored or even made exactly to your measurements? Because unlike a perfectly fitted suit, it costs you nothing but honesty, communication, and a little self-reflection. So I honestly admire people that are in open relationships because I think it's extremely humbling and they have to be very modest and realistic and self-aware and self-reflect. And that's something that a lot of us aren't willing to do. We're not willing to look at ourselves and see if someone triggers us or triggers a wound. Like, why is this happening? What's going on within me? Because it's never usually about the other person. It's always mostly about us. So wrapping up here, because your girl has homework, I want to talk about compersion. This is a term I heard on my favorite podcast, the Sex with Emily podcast, a couple weeks ago. This is a radical love phenomenon. And I resonated with this so much. And it just made so much sense because a couple of months ago, I made a episode about cuck queening. I'm sure you've heard of cuck holding. Um, and then compersion goes right along with this. So this is, this is our wholehearted participation in the happiness of others, right? It's, it's that sympathetic joy we feel for somebody else, even when their positive experience does not involve or benefit us directly. Thus, compersion can be thought as the opposite of jealousy and possessiveness, particularly in bed. It's watching your partner have pleasure and you getting off on your partner's pleasure. So compersion depends on viewing other people as intrinsically autonomous and self-determined and celebrating their own unique path to fulfillment. This might not seem radical when we feel happy for a friend, getting a promotion, or just empathy for others, sympathy, compassion for a family member, like reaching a goal. Um, But what if our romantic partner were to experience happiness and growth from an intimate relationship with somebody else? Could we possibly rejoice with them? And this is interesting because my boyfriend and I were having a conversation last night and I said, you know, I sometimes I think about the next girl you're going to date because I'm so morbid that I'm always... I have a lot of issues, daddy issues, mommy issues, like in relationships. I'm an avoidant attachment style if you're new to the show and you've never heard me before. So I have trauma bonds, I have abandonment wounds, and I'm always thinking of a perfect person, quote unquote perfect, there's no such thing, right? Could be standing in front of me, could be offering me the world, saying they love me. One, I don't believe them. Two, I don't trust their judgment. Three, I think they're delusional. And four, I think about the relationship ending and when I'm going to lose that happiness, right? Happiness is so scary for so many of us that we just think of what's going to go wrong. What's the catch? So last night I was like, I'm thinking about the next girl you're going to be with and what she's going to look like and what she's going to be. And Nick was like, do you feel sad when you think about this? I was like, no, I don't. I'm confused. Like, why don't I feel sad? I feel kind of jealous, honestly. Maybe I feel disappointed it didn't work out, but like, I don't feel sad. And I don't know if this is compersion or not. It's just kind of food for thought. And I'm trying to digest this when I say it out loud. Sometimes I understand things better. 
but compersion in relationships when this happens in a situation where jealousy is the more common or conditioned response we are in a sense entering the radical outer reaches of love therefore people who experience compersion in those unexpected places could be considered pioneers of significant human potential right this is um it's just human mating and relationships are so interesting to me. Um, it's like this unconventional yet powerful expression of contact and just connection. So why does this matter? Learning about compersion can benefit people in all types of relationships, whether one is a consensually non-monogamous relationship um, or not. Compersion conveys to another person that we are genuinely supporting them on their chosen path to well-being, whether that's with or without us. This encourages authentic emotional expression, which in turn reinforces a sense of togetherness and being on the same team. Generosity begets generosity and love begets love, creating this kind of positive emotional feedback loop. Thus, compersion is fundamentally an expression of deep friendship and support, and it can be cultivated as a way to strengthen any connection. So, I just thought this was really interesting. And if you're trying to cultivate compersion, um, I don't know. I don't know if this is natural. I don't know. I guess it's normal. I don't want to say that it's not normal. But I just want to say that compersion is a choice. Compersion is a choice. Um, this is just whether it could be enthusiastically rooting for your partner. Um, maybe this doesn't resonate at all with you. But compersion is not just a feeling, it is a tool. It helps us take agency in our feelings, the positive and the negative. Um, it's like gratitude celebrating with your partners. A lot of times, honestly, I'll think of girls that Nick has gotten with in the past and I'll get re really jealous and angry and be like, fuck, fuck those women. Even though I'm all about women supporting women, like I always want to lift other women up. Like I will get so mad and it's so unrealistic because one, he didn't even know me back then. That was before me. And two, like, it helped shape him into who he was. If I hadn't been with all of the people I've been with, then I might have not ended up with Nick. I might have not been the person I am today. So I just want a key theme for this month to be agency, right? You can take agency in how you define compersion and how you channel positivity, how you unpack jealousy, how you communicate with your partners and every choice you make in a relationship. Agency empowers us to be mindful about our thoughts, our feelings, articulation and actions. Um, and I look forward to exploring this more as it relates to further topics and episodes in the future that I will touch upon. Um, I am honored to offer this platform for my friends that are curious and exploring and hope that this show enlightens you as much as it humbled me. <laughs> Let's just say that. So ask a sex educator. I encourage and hope that you all send me your questions if you want them to be answered on the show. So I had one question that was sent to me on Instagram that I thought was a really interesting and important and great question on, do you think masturbating too much can be harmful? So I would say that it depends, right? As with anything, it doesn't matter so much in my opinion, how often you do it, but whether or not it interferes with your everyday life and other activities. Like for example, if you would rather be masturbating than be with a live person, now this doesn't 
apply if you have sexual trauma and obviously you're just getting back in touch with your body. But if you don't want to have sex in real life because of porn porn usage, it could be a problem. Or if you call out of work to masturbate or even self-isolate to masturbate, I think that that could be an issue. So it doesn't necessarily matter if you're doing it twice a day or six times a day. It just matters so much more so if it's impacting the quality of your life, if it prevents you from getting out of bed, um, if it's all you're doing, if you feel it's a problem. I would ask yourself what the motivation to do it is coming from. If it's derived from numbness or loneliness to distract yourself from uncomfortable feelings, then that drive could be problematic. If it's affecting your relationships with yourself and other people, it could also pose an issue. I think if you have to ask yourself if it's a problem, you might benefit from looking at it further and finding the deep root of it, right? If it, if you think it's just for fun and a way to pass time when you're bored and make yourself feel good, I don't think pleasure in itself is a problem. But if it's interfering with other activities or your living satisfaction, overall quality of living, you might want to take a look at it. Um, you know, if you're doing it because you're really down and depressed, maybe talking to a professional could help. Um, and masturbating every day, it's really, it's healthy to keep us in touch with our bodies and to learn ourselves. For men, it reduces prostate cancer. Also, it depends what school of thought you're coming from because other schools of thought say that ejaculating too much too often shortens your lifespan because it lessens your chi or your life energy. So as with anything else, I think there's a middle ground and balance is best. And If you find yourself on any end of the extreme, then maybe you might benefit from a counselor or a coach to, you know, pinpoint exactly what triggered it. Um, I'm not a medical doctor, but if it could be something coming from your health, so something could be going off with your hormones, especially if you have depression, you know, it could be a coping mechanism. Some people use shopping or gambling or drugs and alcohol. Others use sex and porn. Um, So a lot of SSRIs like Prozac or Zoloft, if you feel this is becoming impulsive and like kind of like a compulsive drive, an obsession, you might want to look into this to figure out in the meantime how to healthfully cope, you know, masturbating helps you have those feel-good chemicals like oxytocin, norepinephrine, vasopressin, dopamine. So you could unknowingly be trying to make up for that chemical imbalance. Um, Your hormones could be thrown off and medication might help to equalize it and balance it in the meantime. But I think get into therapy, as I always, always say. So thank you so much for this question. I hope that this shed some light and helped at least one person. Again, send me your questions to answer on the show, and I hope you have a sexy day.